1: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the All American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Johnny McEwen. Tons of action from postseason baseball to get to in today's episode. Have Jake Reiner on the podcast. And who knows, maybe in today's episode you'll learn something that'll make you smarter and maybe even wealthier because you can use all of your sporting know-how at Bet Online. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website. To sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, just use our promo code Believe50 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, even postseason baseball, and your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for the 2021 season at Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. And let Let's us get started today. He's back. We got him back. Jake Reiner is back on the podcast. You can, of course, listen to him on his podcast meeting on the mound or the Incline Dodgers podcast. But if you live in the Los Angeles area, you very well may have seen Jake on CBS LA or KCAL News because Jake is a reporter, and anchor for the station. And Jake was actually just in Atlanta covering game one and two of the National League Championship series. And it's a pleasure to have him back on the podcast. Jake, how you doing? i'm doing great i'm doing great johnny i came back from atlanta you know
0: it's the east coast time zone my body clock is all over the place so i'm just getting i'm just getting my you know my bearings set here back in los angeles but it was a uh, it was a whirlwind
1: of a weekend to be sure i'm sure it was and now that you'll reset in pacific standard time we're gonna get to the action of last night which was truly unbelievable from dodger stadium but i've Of course, where we left off last was uh, talking about the Dodgers being on the brink of elimination um, in the series, the division series against the Giants. We spoke after a really tough loss in game three in the NLDS. You said the motto was, let's go out and win game four. They go out and win game four, forcing a winner-take-all game in San Francisco. What were your thoughts going into game five of the NLDS series? I was nervous, but the thing about a game five or game seven is
0: that anything can happen. So as nervous as you can get leading up to the game, you're almost like, let's just ride this out. You know, this, this this is, this is the pinnacle of this, of this series. And I was at peace, honestly, if the Dodgers were, were to have lost, obviously it would have been devastating, but I was almost at peace knowing that they took the the best team in baseball, the team with the most wins, 107 wins, which was the San Francisco Giants, to a game 5. And they also avoided the Giants celebrating at Dodger Stadium by winning game 4. So, I was at peace with the whole thing. Now, the game was absolutely I was not at peace during that whole game. <laughs> it was it was so tight the entire way and you almost knew that was going to happen because game 4 was kind of a breeze. The Dodgers kind of from the jump had you know a a a hold on the giants and they kind of cruised to that game four victory but in game five was just absolutely it was a great baseball game Mm. it really was if you're a true baseball fan you loved watching that game if you were not a fan of either the Giants or the Dodgers if you were a fan of the Giants or the Dodgers you were just going through all of the emotions.
1: Yeah, like I said on the podcast, I liked our chances in game four. We go out and we win game four. I was nervous about Logan Webb and the San Francisco crowd in game five. And he was great. And he he was, was so great. Stella. I mean, amazing young pitcher. Roberts sent out Kniebel as an opener, which I was a little worried about. And we knew we were going to see Urias at a point. Uh, he wasn't going to start the game. Um, what did you make of Roberts' kind of bullpen managing in that game five? I
0: thought that Dave Roberts managed the NLDS almost to perfection. I talked about that on our last episode together, where there was a few question marks in terms of pinch hitters and, and that sort of thing, but in terms of the bullpen, he executed it to, to almost perfection. And what people need to understand, and, and I like I feel like a lot of fans on social media are always quick to uh, criticize Dave Roberts or think that you know it was all him that made these decisions. It's never all him. It's a collaboration. It's what the Dodgers uh, decided to do when they hired Dave Roberts. They basically said, look, you're going to be our guy. We believe in you. We believe in your ability to manage a clubhouse and be a champion of these players. However, you need to buy into this collaboration. This is not just going to, you are not going to be making all the decisions just like Tommy Lasorda was when he managed the Dodgers. It was all Tommy. Right. This is not all Dave. This is a collaboration between Roberts, between his coaching staff, and and mainly between him and Andrew Friedman. And people need to realize that. So the plan to start Corey Canable and to go with a bullpen game and to bring Urias in for what they call the bulk guy to pitch the majority of the innings is a plan that they set in place together before the game. So it was a bit of a shock. I think the idea was, is that they kind of wanted to throw off how the Giants prepared for that game because Gabe Kapler is a platoon crazy man mm-hmm. and so he was going to stack his lineup with all right-handed batters if they were going to start Arias but he couldn't do that when when you don't know who's going to come in after Canable. you know Arias is going to come in at some point right. but you don't know when right. and so that was sort of an interesting strategy that they went for the the two relievers that they went with I forget who came after uh Canable off the top of my head was it Guerrero? yes Gratterall they got through two scoreless innings right. but it wasn't easy awesome. it was very no, the very first very inning very was really
1: nervy with K- Kniebel as well he didn't look like he had his you know best stuff coming out in the first Gratterall comes out in the second then we see Urias in the third fourth fifth uh, maybe he made it to the sixth I'm not, I can't remember quite off my he head he pitched great but he pitched great. great and um, Logan Webb, as you said as well also pitched really well it was and and, and Dave wears it really well, is what I think. In the post game, he'll take it on his shoulders. He'll Always. say, "You know, he made the call." And so, I think he's almost too good at wearing it, so that it makes it seem like it's we can just throw it all on Dave Roberts' shoulders when it doesn't go right. Uh, yeah, but you, you take a risk in this, and I think that he executed yeah. it perfectly in Game Five. There there's a uh, there's a term for
0: fans that don't understand how things like this work and they're called casual fans for mm. a reason right. and they don't really understand and I don't I know it sounds like I'm coming off as this sort of elitist like, you know, kind of condescending in a way, but the truth is is that if you really did truly know what goes into these decisions, you may not have the opinions that you have. I agree you may be that. a li- you may be a little
1: more informed. The casual fan freaks out when Blake Snell comes out of the World Series. The true fan of a Tampa Bay's know that there's a reason why they took him out in that spot. And you got and you know right. and and Dave Executed it perfectly. You could also say that in game one, he tried to do a similar thing. We, you know, we didn't have a starter You know, that we want to put out there, which has mainly just been Scherzer and Buehler. And he said, we're going to yeah. opt for that kind of bullpen game again. And it didn't quite work out the way that we wanted it to.
0: Yeah, I, and, and the other thing is is that I, I just wish that the, the Dodgers uh, tend to overthink things um, in a way where I, I feel like even in game five of the NLDS, even though it worked out with Scherzer closing it out, they really didn't need to use him. Like right. they, they, The Dodgers have a good enough bullpen to where you could play the matchup game until the end and have either Trinan or Jansen on the mound closing it out. And though, to me, I would rather have Trinan or Jansen closing it out than Urias or Scherzer every time because they know how to pitch in those situations. They've done it before right. a million times. And Scherzer... Almost blew it. Um, uh, there was a there was a fly ball that Lamont Wade hit that if he straightened it out, that's the ball game, folks. Right. Uh, and I know that I know that Justin Turner made a huge error in that ninth inning, but boy, would that have been a crushing blow if the Giants walked it off in that moment. So I didn't totally agree with it, even though I trust max Scherzer more than I trust a number of other pitchers. It just feels like a lot of the time, Roberts will play to the moment instead of just getting the win, mm. you know? Whether it's bringing in Kershaw uh, it, when he doesn't need to, or leaving Kershaw out there a little bit too long because he wants him to have that moment. Or if Kenley Jansen isn't you know going well, to go with him again because he wants Kenley to have that redemption. And, yeah. and I just feel like a lot of those times where I'm just like, God, can we just win the game? <laughs>
1: Well, we did end up winning that game in dramatic style. Of course, we know we got to web a little bit in the fourth. It was bets that really got it going though for the Dodgers in the sixth with a single, still second. Corey comes up. Gets a huge double that just about stays fair there. So we struck first. Next inning, Darren Ruff comes up. Huge homer. And my stomach just dropped. I thought it was, you know, done for really. But it was Bellinger in the ninth. Charlie Steiner, who you've had on your show, had the call. He had a great call calling it Bellinger's biggest hit of his career. And it certainly was. Gave us the lead. Scherzer comes in in the ninth. It looked dodgy for a second, but man it was a dramatic game dramatic series and getting past these giants literally took everything that the dodgers had and then some do you think that the team finally felt like you know they had really had to use every single inch of their roster to finally get the best of these giants which it had taken them all year to do so yeah and if you think about it
0: during the last month of the season When's the last time the Dodgers were playing meaningful games for that long? Mm. I mean, there were so many must-win games down the stretch because the division was so tight. So you get to the playoffs, and now it's even more intense and even more of an incentive to, like you said, use every inch of the roster to beat the Giants, and that's what it took. And for the Dodgers to uh, get past the Giants – must have been a huge emotional rush for them, not only because the Giants were the best team in baseball, but it's the Dodgers Giants rivalry. It's bragging rights. It's everything. And so I think we'll get into this a little bit when we talk about the beginning of the NLCS, but they don't, they didn't talk about it. None of the Dodgers admitted to it. Dave Roberts didn't really admit to it, but you got to think that there was some sort of emotional kind
1: of drag or letdown down uh, when the NLCS started. NLCS gets re- it's a rematch of against the Braves and then you get a phone call right I mean how long after the final out in San Francisco before you were picking your seat on the flight to Atlanta
0: well my uh, sports producer um called me or texted me that week um the before uh game four or game or before game five and he said to me you know start looking at flights Because if the Dodgers go to the NLCS, we're going to send you to Atlanta. And of course, like I was over the moon, excited. I wanted to tell everybody, but then I thought to myself, no, you idiot. Don't tell anyone because if you do, you're going to jinx it and the Dodgers are going to get knocked out in game (laughs) five. So the only person I told was my, my fiance, Margaret, who she needed to know because she needed to be prepared for me to leave because we live together. And I was like, you know i was sort of like should i tell her should i not tell her but i was like you know what i need to tell her i th- this is this is the risk i'm willing to take because she needs to know but i didn't tell anybody and during game five i had picked out my flights but they hadn't booked them yet mm-hmm. because why would you book something if if right. it's not going to happen then you got to deal with the whole refund thing and i actually had a uh, a softball game that night and Uh, we met up as a team prior to the game, the game started at, uh, our game started at nine. And of course the, the Dodgers game started at six. So we started watching the game, but of course, you know, being as close as it was, the game took a little longer than expected. And so we actually had to leave the bar to go play the game. And that was actually kind of fun too, because, because all of the guys were into it and we were all nervous about the Dodgers, you know, Winning that game, and so we had it on in the dugout on someone's phone. And so whoever wasn't in the field, there was always one person on the bench. (laughs) They would they would have the responsibility of watching the game and shouting out the play by play. And so that was fun for me because I was like, you know, normally you don't like to sit, but I was excited to be on the bench because I I was going to be the guy to be like, you know, there's two strikes on uh, on Lamont Wade (laughs) or whatever. Um, And so it got to the point where. Uh Bell, you know, Bellinger got the hit. Then Kenley, I mean, Kenley pitched a beautiful eighth inning. And then in the ninth inning, you had, uh, you had Scherzer on the mound. And it, w- it was an incredible uh, moment. And it was so cool because I was not only celebrating that the Dodgers won, but I was celebrating that I got to go. I was, I was leaving to cover the postseason, which I've never done before. And it was, it was like a dream come true.
1: Awesome moment, awesome moment. Well, the Dodgers, like I said, you know, it took everything out of them to get that Game 5 win. They end up getting to Atlanta, going a rematch against these Braves. Of course, it's different than last year's you know, dealing with being in a interim ballpark, being in Arlington. Um, take us a bit through what the atmosphere like, felt like starting for game one and this kind of exhausted Dodgers roster turning up in Atlanta.
0: It was very, very hyped there. Uh, Braves, Braves fans are very passionate about their team and they came out in droves and we did a live shot out in what they call the battery uh, outside Truist Park, which is sort of like a really cool kind of like corridor area where there are a bunch of bars and restaurants and live music and people can kind of hang out um, before the game, before they go into the park. And it was very lively. Fans are very excited. They believe in this team. I mean, the fact that they lost their best player, Ronald Acuna Jr. uh, in the middle of the season to a season ending injury and were able to Add pieces at the deadline, they got literally every outfielder on the market to take them to the playoffs and then to take them uh, to the NLCS and pass the Brewers who people didn't think they were going to beat me included. Um, They really do believe in this team and they are a very good baseball team. Um, I don't think they're on the level of the Dodgers, which we can get into, but I think that they are a very good baseball team. They have a flair for the dramatic and Getting to see what batting practice is like during the postseason was really interesting because I've been to a few batting practices during the regular season, but during the postseason, it's just it's got a different feel to it. And it just felt like Braves were kind of all business, and the Dodgers weren't necessarily all business. They they like they tend to keep like to keep things loose. Um, it's not that they're like not focused on the game or whatever, but like they have this kind of like we've been here before, we know what this is like. Um, we're ready to take care of business, and quite frankly, they could have won both of those games in Atlanta. So it it was uh, it was a really cool atmosphere leading up to the game for sure.
1: Austin Riley certainly got the crowd involved with his first career walk off hit, Atlanta Tech Game One at uh, home and. You know, I felt like after our bout with San Francisco, we were so beat up. Of course, we have this kind of cool confidence about ourselves. We have kind of a laid-back clubhouse energy. Mookie and Cody just have this coolness, this calmness, and as they should. They're hitting so well for our team, been certainly the bright spots. But it seems as though we were kind of just lacking that fire that we had seen in Game 4 and 5. And the story repeated itself in how it ended, at least in Game 2, ninth inning heroics again for Atlanta. And, you know... I I was a little bit nervous about I was excited for us to have a day off leading up to game three. But, you know, how were you feeling after the two games in Atlanta? You know, where where did you take in those ninth inning moments and, and how did you feel getting on the plane back to LA? I felt horrible. <laughs> I felt it's just absolutely horrible. Um, I, I, you know, you start running
0: through all the all the different moments, and 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 then you start to question your own existence. Of you know, well, was this my fault? You know, should I not have gone to this? You know, should I not have been here? You know, the superstition tell, I, of a
1: baseball player. You've got.
0: Yeah, did I did I tell Margaret too soon? Like what? Like what happened? You know, like how how did this happen? Um, because the Dodgers had leads in both of these games, but boy, did they squander so many scoring opportunities. They were two for 18 with runners in scoring position in both of those games. Mm. Atlanta had nowhere near the amount of scoring opportunities the Dodgers did, and there were so many opportunities where the Dodgers just could have put them away, and they just didn't, and they couldn't. And the fact that you know they couldn't do that you let a good team like Atlanta hang around. They're gonna, they're gonna beat you eventually, especially at home, um, in their ballpark, uh, with their, you know, tomahawk chop, uh, that chant that they do that I just couldn't get out of my head and I couldn't fall asleep because I was <laughs> hearing that chant in my head, and it was just so like um the atmosphere there was crazy. Um, I took in those moments in the um, the auxiliary press box, which, you know, for for people that don't understand is sort of the the outcast press box for the media members who aren't as important as as the main beat writers. So they kind of stick us in this, you know, it was a beautiful um, suite called the Hank Aaron Terrace. And it's, you know, um, it's in the, the the left field corner and, and you're really far away from the action, but also like a really cool vantage point to see the entire field and just the beauty of baseball, the beauty of postseason baseball, just to see the kind of dramatic um, angles that you get to see on these um, different, you know, home runs and walk-off hits the perspective that I got when Will Smith hit his home run in game one and Austin Riley was really cool. Cause it came right at us. Wow. Um, and it almost was like, you could tell right off the bat that it was gone too. Hmm. Um, and then uh, j- just the, just the different uh, walk-off hits that happened, you kind of were um, just, taken up taken aback by just the sound in the crowd and when and when you're not really involved or or when your team is not the one celebrating to really hear the sound to really just kind of just be in you know Mm -hmm. enveloped in the entire environment is really kind of a uh, uh an interesting kind of weird feeling but for for people that don't know like you can't cheer in the press box and i know there's a lot of people that 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 may know this um but like the press box is such a quiet sanctuary for a neutral zone as well too it's a very neutral zone very little talking Mm. very little anything and i respect the hell out of the beat writers that cover these teams because um to remove yourself emotionally from this. And I know that their guys have been doing it for 30, 40 years. So it's sort of like they, they know the drill, nothing really excites them or moves them in any sort of way. And I get that when you've done this job for that long, for me, I just was coming from the perspective of like, I've never done this before. And so I, I was just sort of taking in everything and being like, wow, like this is how it's supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. This is kind of how the etiquette works and all of that. And so when um, I actually saw uh, Austin Riley's walk-off hit in the main press box looking at, and it just was like, the, you saw the crowd erupt, mm. but the entire press box was dead quiet. And you heard a few like, Oh, or, or just like, "mm," you know, kind of like different, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, noises of like, wow, like that. Why well, I, I can't believe they just walked it off. Um, and then from the point of the walk-off, it's sort of like a mad dash to get downstairs to the press, to the press conference room to hear Dave Roberts or Brian Snitker mm-hmm. or whoever else they bring in there to talk. And at the end of that game, It was like getting through an entire like getting through a sea of people to try and get downstairs. It was it was
1: a crazy uh, kind of adrenaline pumping environment awesome experience and so cool that you got to go and cover that and feel that that you know i I know what it's like to be a fan and see a home crowd erupting and you're the away team rooting for it but to be in that environment to feel that stillness and then also feel the stillness of i'm at my job i gotta you know i gotta maintain the professionalism here i'm a huge dodgers i will i
0: will say this though i will say this though and i and i I shouldn't be admitting this but like i saw the um the walk-off hit by eddie rosario in the auxiliary press box Mm -hmm. And um, there weren't a lot of people in there. Um, I still didn't cheer or, any, or, or anything, but, it, but like I had my moment of like,
1: son of a god, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: where I'm just like, come on, you know? Um, but like, you know, nobody saw that, you know, I'm now, now admitting it to you
1: now, but you know, we're, we're, we're well past it. There you go. Well, Dodgers were tried to get well past their trip to Atlanta as well. Get in. I liked, I liked our chances at game three. Walker Buehler starting. We got off to a pretty quick start. Mookie Betts getting on. Corey Seager hitting a home run. I'd love to start every first inning like that. But the Braves were able to string together quite a few hits. Get a few runs across the plate against Buehler. And everything about this game up until the sixth inning didn't actually feel like a stereotypical Dodgers home game. We never looked like we had the crowd fully excited behind what we were up to and what we were doing. We looked more uncomfortable with the sun than the Braves did at the... The, t- the start time, the two o'clock start time is an awkward one. It's not really a day game. It shifts quite quickly into afternoon. It's a postseason Terrible. game. So of course, it's going to be longer. But we seem to have all the problems with the sun more than the Braves did. We just didn't feel like we were in control of the game. We didn't look like we were at home, which is exactly what the Braves would probably want. The Braves actually haven't won a game at Dodger Stadium since 2018. Of course, they won a couple of games against us in the NLCS, but that was in Arlington. So the Braves have struggled at Dodger Stadium, but here they are looking like they're, they're going to run away with the NLCS. Meanwhile, over on you know the <laughs> on the ALCS, it looks like the Boston Red Sox are about to go up three, you know, a uh, three games. So it, everything suddenly felt like, oh wow, it's just going to be a Boston Red Sox Braves World Series. We're just going to have to drudge through this NLCS, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden, we get to the bottom of the eighth, and, and stuff just starts happening. Will Smith, AJ Pollock, get on. Cody Bellinger puts on an incredible swing on a pitch that was way up in the zone, up by the letters of his jersey. Drives the ball out of the yard, ties up the game, and then Mookie comes up and doubles. It was our two guys, Mookie and Bellinger, who have just rallied this team, been the hitting machines for this team. Dodgers take the lead. Kenley Jansen comes in in the ninth, strikes out the side. Amazing 6-5 comeback win for the Dodgers. Biggest comeback they've come back from. In post, like in five years in the postseason, I saw a stat unbelievable comeback. Everything was a you know, bet against us. We're looking like we're going three down, and you said it back. You said I sent you a text during the game. You said it best to me. You said back from the dead. (laughs) What what did you think of the Dodgers literally coming back and winning this game? That was a must-win. Well. Dave Roberts even said it
0: after the game. He thought they were dead in the water. Uh, Charlie Steiner said on the air that the Dodgers were literally on life support. Mm-hmm. I mean, a very morbid uh, feeling uh, throughout that game because you start out like a house on fire. Like you mentioned, Corey Seager uh, hits a two-run homer, just like the game two started with a two-run homer off the bat of Corey Seager. And then... The, the wheels just came off. Uh, I forget if it was if it was in the fourth or the fifth inning, I think it was in the fifth inning or fourth inning I can't remember but whatever inning Walker Bueller got taken out of yeah. um, that inning was abs- an absolute disaster. Um, you have uh, Gavin Lux who uh, made a great play in the first inning uh, to double up uh, Rosario uh, absolutely you know loses the ball. I, maybe he lost it in the sun, but the ball went off his glove. Um, he wasn't, it was actually not scored an error, even though it probably should have been, I think that that any, any center fielder or guy that has a little more experience in center fielder as a center fielder makes that catch, but you're seeing the, the ramifications of the max Muncy injury, because if, if Muncy is healthy, he's starting at first Bellinger's in center and you don't even have that. You there's no way Bellinger doesn't make that catch. But then it comes up then it comes up to the 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 thought of like why are you putting uh Gavin Lux, an inexperienced center fielder in center field? Um the one of the the most important position in the outfield versus someone like Chris Taylor, who, you know, you have confidence in starting in center field. So we may see a, we may see a shift, even though Lux has said that he's a little more comfortable in center field than left field. I don't think you have a choice. I think you got to put the best option in center. um, And that's Chris Taylor. And the best option at first is Cody Bellinger. So I think you may see that shift, but at any rate, that ball drops Uh, the wheels just kind of came off from there. There was a strike three call to Jock Peterson that was absolutely missed. And it was one of the worst calls I've ever seen. It was a perfect pitch, Mm. low inside, right on the inside corner. You couldn't have, Walker Bueller couldn't have painted it better. Um, Didn't get the call. Then Walker Bueller, you know, puts one over the middle. Jock Peterson gets an RBI single. Um, And then there was another play that went off Corey Seager's glove that he should have made that they didn't call an error. And so all of those runs were uh, unfortunately you know charged to Walker Bueller. Mm-hmm. and so it looks like he had a worse outing than he did um but you know the Dodgers just weren't uh sharp behind him and that and, and and it just showed it just it just felt like um they took two gut punches in Atlanta two walk-off wins emotional uh flight home not a happy flight um but you get out to a two nothing start and they just uh, for I don't know what happened it just it just felt like The, the, the defense just didn't match them. Um, And then the offense just went to sleep. Just absolute, just no, just absolutely no fight in that team for, you know, it felt like uh, seven innings, right. Mm. Until they, until the eighth. Mm -hmm. Um, But what a job by the Dodgers bullpen to keep it, to keep them in the game. Guys like Brule, Mm. guys like Phillips, uh, you know, guys that, that. Uh, basically should have no business being in a postseason game, but you have to roll them out there because if the Dodgers did come back and win this game, they're going to have a bullpen game soon. And so they can't burn everybody all at once. So Tony Gonsolin comes into the game and and the bullpen, even though they only only gave up one run, they kept the Dodgers in this game. Mm. And so that was huge uh, to the point where if you can keep the deficit within three runs, you've always got a shot to come back. And then that eighth
1: inning was just beautiful. Really was quite something. You know, obviously the Dodgers need to keep winning and keep utilizing their home field advantage. But, you know, I talked about it before. Mookie and Bellinger have been the purest, you know, biggest hits have come from these two guys and the limelight's going to be on them. But I do like the idea of our offense kind of waking up now Will Smith's actually been a really big bat for us this postseason AJ Pollock has had a couple of hits come through that I think he deserves a bit more starting playing time I know that we've got Gavin and and Gavin's playing a center field that he's not used to but his bat has certainly been effective in this postseason what do you think the Dodgers need to do in the rest of this series obviously we need to keep winning We're, we're still down what do you think are the best parts of our roster that we need to utilize in these next couple of games against Atlanta um,
0: one of them, one of the things I already mentioned was you got to move Lux to left. Mm-hmm. I know he's not as as um, as proficient there, but I mean, the the biggest plays are going to come to center field. They always do, and so putting him in left field, I think is is the right move. Even though he said he feels more comfortable in center, you just can't. Allow what happened in Game Three to happen again, mm-hmm. um, and it was only a matter of time, right? That 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 a that a play like that was going to find him in a crucial spot. Um, luckily, it was in the fourth inning and not in the eighth inning, um, because if if it was any later, you'd, you I don't know that the Dodgers could have come back. But because the Dodgers had time to um, to figure it out, they were able to come back in that game. So that's one thing you got to keep Lux in there. You got to move Taylor to center. You got to move the Turners down, um, mm. and it sucks too because Trey Turner uh, won the NL batting title. He's an MVP regular season candidate, but he's been absolutely terrible in the postseason. Um, same with Justin Turner. You know, has been a, a consistent bat, a, a postseason hero for the Dodgers in the past, but has been bad, and also is is struggling a little bit with a neck injury that he suffered uh, be- uh, right before Game Two uh, in the batting cages. Or after I should say, uh, right uh, before game one, and he didn't start game two, Um, so that that's a little bit concerning. You got to move those guys down. You may want to move Bellinger up, even though I think that keeping him in this part of the order towards the bottom is maybe more advantageous. Um, So I, 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 you know, there's a little give and take on there, but I think you got to move the the turners out of the middle of that order and move up guys like chris taylor or move up guys like will smith who are getting the job done um and and figure out a way to to put some runs on the board the dodgers have yet to really you know put a lot of runs on the board like they did in the nlds Mm -hmm. and even even so that was an inconsistent series for the offense but they put up 9 runs one game and 7 runs the next game and that's what they should have done in the first 2 games of this series mm-hmm. was put up those crooked numbers. So I think Roberts and Friedman have to get together and figure out a different way to construct this lineup so that they can figure out a way to put more runs on the board and cash in with
1: when those scoring opportunities come up. It's going to be an interesting rest of the series. Big game tonight chance for the Dodgers to tie it up at Dodger Stadium. Urias will make the start for LA. I also want to touch on the Red Sox and Astros series. It was a wild game last night. The Astros got a run in the first. Then the Red Sox, two runs in the bottom of the first. And then the game went completely stalemate. Nothing but zeros on the board until the, the eighth inning when the Astros score one and tie it up. It felt like a really tense game all the way through. And Boston couldn't get anything done in the bottom of the eighth to regain their lead. And then to the top of the ninth. And it was a, just an unreal two-out rally from the Astros. Big hits. Astros put up seven runs in the ninth inning. It took all of the air out of Fenway. The series ends up being tied at two games apiece. And my impression leading into the series was that there was no team hotter than the Red Sox. They're the hottest team in the postseason, winning games in walk-off fashion, blowing it out. And an interesting note to that is the Red Sox haven't had a save opportunity yet in the postseason. All the games have come down to final innings, you know, one or two runs. They've walked it off or they've blown out their opponents, like I've said. So what have you made of the CS so far? Did you see the Astros coming back in last night's game? And they were able to tamper this Red Sox at home. I mean, it's quite a ninth inning. I think when you look at these two teams, I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure that they're that they
0: thankful that they've not had to have any save opportunities because these pitching staffs are bad. Mm. They're really bad. And so the for the Astros and Red Sox, they're very, very similar in the sense that they rely on their very potent offenses. Um, Both teams uh, are hitting the ball extremely well. And so that's why you're seeing these sort of lopsided wins uh, in either direction. And the thing that happened in the ninth inning last night that had everybody talking was there was this missed strike three call on Jason Castro um, and Laz Diaz, the home plate umpire, um, didn't ring him up. And that would have been the end of the inning. Um, And then the the game would have still been tied 2-2 and the Red Sox would have had an opportunity to walk it off but as it turned out it was called a ball uh Castro gets the big hit and then the fl- and then the wheels came off mm-hmm. um but that is uh something that you know the bullpens are so bad that that Alex Cora had to go to Nathan Avaldi out of the pen um and that and that's a situation where the Red Sox needed to go to Evaldi, as opposed to the Dodgers where you don't necessarily need to go to Urias or, or Scherzer. Um, there are other ways to get it done. And in fact, maybe even better ways when you have such a good bullpen, you should be using that bullpen. But for the Red Sox and the, and the, and the Astros, I mean, they, they just don't have any pitching. Uh, the the Astros just they, they're down Lance McCullers. He's their only really good starter. Um, Frember Valdez has, has kind of been a shell of himself since um he went down with the injury in spring training. Uh Zach Granke just is very hittable and is not as as good, even though he he pitched fairly well. I mean, they only got two runs off him, I think. Um, but yeah, this is um th- basically this is a is gonna a series that's gonna come down to uh which pitching staff is less bad. <laughs> mm. That that that's the key, right? Um, in, in the Dodgers Brave series, it's can the Dodgers offense win them a game. There there are no worries about their pitching staff. Their pitching staff is elite. Yeah. Um, but in this series, it's it's going to be which pitching staff is going to be able to stop the bleeding. It's
1: certainly going to be an interesting rest of the series. Lots of really exciting baseball this weekend. I'm no, I'm looking forward to watching. I do want to ask though, just on the AL side uh, as we wrap this up. Where do you think it's more likely we're starting a World Series next week? In Boston or Houston? Well, it depends on if the Dodgers are able to win their
0: series because it would be starting in LA regardless if the Dodgers win it. But I think that... um, uh, it's, it's tough, it's tough because these teams are so they're so unpredictable the, the Red Sox and Astros are so unpredictable mm. um, in terms of uh, in terms of trying to figure out who's going to win this series. Um, but I guess my my gut tells me that the, um, the Astros will prevail. Mm. Um, I, I think that they just have the better lineup top to bottom and I think that that's what it's going to come down to. Um, and their 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 bullpen is, I think, better than the than the Red Sox bullpen, and I think that's what it's going to come down to as well. But I do want to say one more thing that uh, I wanted to add to this conversation, and I'm interested to hear what you have to think about this because you you grew up, you know, or or have, have lived through um, the entirety of Jock Peterson's and Kike mm. Hernandez's careers as Dodgers. And they were fan favorites, and they were great in the postseason. Yeah. And the Dodgers have have uh, you know have to give them credit for helping them win the World Series last year. But I hear a lot of talk online of and, and, and coming from prominent uh, baseball writers and 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 people uh, you know not just fans, um, basically saying like, oh boy, you know the Dodgers could really use Kike Hernandez or Jock Peterson right about now, and. They've had great postseasons. They always do. Kike Hernandez lighting the world on fire. Jock Peterson, Jocktober is a real thing, and he's really killing it. But from my, from, from where I'm sitting, um, the Dodgers won 106 games, mm-hmm. the same amount of wins that they had in 2019 when Kike Hernandez and Jock Peterson were on that squad. But, oh, by the way, this 106 team has gone further than that 2019 team has. And they have a shot to make it to the world series and beat the Braves and win a back-to-back world series titles Mm -hmm. without Jock Peterson and Kike Hernandez. So for where I'm sitting, I don't think that the Dodgers need either of them. They're doing just fine without them and without considerable stars like Max Muncie and Clayton Kershaw and Dustin May. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that people are like, Oh, like wouldn't it be nice to have these guys? It's like, yeah, are you watching the games? Like, are you watching this team? Because it just doesn't seem like people get it, and I want to know what you think about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's what I prefer: Jock Peterson to be hitting in the pinch hit than Steven Souza Jr. Of course, is that feasible financially? Do we end up getting Trey Turner and Max Scherzer? I mean, these deals they come with so much. That when when you fall one domino like that, there's so many other things that have to fall into place, and you have to figure, and you have to figure into that. I, yeah, I, I miss Kike. I miss Jock. They, they were great players for us. I enjoy also seeing them perform on the stage, You know, maybe a little bit more with Kike as he's playing in the AL instead of the NL. You don't have to kind of... There's not a thought that Jock Peterson's going to be the guy that beats you, but I, I think we've done just fine. And like I said before, yeah, sure. Would I prefer Jock Peterson to be pinch hitting over Austin Barnes or Stephen Sousa? Maybe, sure, with the way he's hitting. Is it feasible? Absolutely not. I mean, it's not... You know financially it the financial doesn't make sense.
0: And yeah, financially, I think that's a really good point too. Which is that Kike Hernandez said that he wants to start, and he deserves and the Dodger, to. And he deserves and to. And he deserves to start. And he's been great for the Red Sox. The Dodgers weren't willing to do that. And Jock Peterson uh, had said that he wanted to stay with the Dodgers. But you're not going to pay two, you know, starter ca- caliber players mm-hmm. starters
1: money to be a to reserve. sit on the bench. Yeah, yeah, doesn't make sense. Plain and simple. Yeah. Well, it certainly will be interesting to see how it all shakes out. I asked you, of course, who you thought of the AL teams were going to be representing in the World Series because I don't think I need to ask you about the NL. I uh, I hope that we do see a World Series start up again in Dodger Stadium. We'll just have to wait and see. Thank you for all your thoughts and talking about your trip to Atlanta. I really appreciate you, Jake. Yeah, I appreciate you too. And I'm not
0: going to let you off the hook. Who are, who are you picking between the Red Sox and the Astros?
1: I think it's interesting you said Astros. I I think it's the Red Sox. Like I said, I think that they have this. I could like, go either way. You could really go either. You could go either way in both of these series. They are so tight. I mean, it's going to come down to very, very small moments. It's a game of inches, which is what uh, Ron Washington, the third base coach, was talking about for the Braves. Because when he sent, you know, the runner from third, it was just as close as you can really get in baseball I know
0: and and uh and wow was that a bad throw by Souza? that that ball took yeah. about 39 hops before it got to the plate <laughs> any any a one hopper a any decent throw would have gotten Rosario dead to rights at the plate that was a just awful throw
1: it's going to come down to little moments like that so I mean I think it's a pinch between the two of them but I'm going for a rematch of 2018 World Series I think it's Red Sox and I think it's Dodgers
0: that's what everyone would want. That's what the networks want for sure. So
1: I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I'm a TV guy. I'm pulling for it. <laughs> You're a TV guy too, Jake. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, man. Of course, man. Anytime. I love talking baseball with you. Thank you again to Jake Reiner. Be sure to check him out, Meeting on the Mound with Jake Reiner and the Incline Dodgers podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. This has been the All-American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network, presented by Bet Online. I am, as always, your host, Johnny McEwen, And until next time, take care.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger.